0: Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. So with that song in mind, shall we kneel before the Lord and invite his presence and blessing, where possible, of course. Our gracious Lord in heaven, Dear Father, we thank Thee for the Sabbath day that we have enjoyed. We thank Thee for the beautiful weather that Thou hast given, for the opportunity we had to enjoy some of it. And Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word that is, brings to us sweet promises of hope, consolation to our souls. Father, we want our all to be laid upon that altar Father, we want to hold nothing in reserve, for Thou hast held back nothing from us. And as we come here to consider this last in in our message today, we ask for a, a blessing upon the opening and reading of Thy Word. May they speak to our hearts and our minds as well, as we consider those figures that have been given to us of the great work of salvation I pray, Father, that these things will take on a personal meaning to us as we come away from these meetings. May they have made an impression upon heart and mind and strengthened our will and purpose and desire to serve Thee. Father, we bless Thee and thank Thee, and all of these things we ask in the blessed name of Thy Son, Jesus. Amen. I hope you have your Bibles handy. We're going to be doing, doing some reading in this one. I don't have all the texts up for us to read. Some of them are going to be a, a little longer. So we're going to read them, and then we will discuss some of the different points that are brought out in them. We're going to be looking at the, the atonement. In our first two messages, we looked at the what I call the daily service portion of the sanctuary service. The burnt offering, the sin offerings, and the, the various other offerings. There were thank offerings, peace offerings. There was to accompany every one of these offerings. There was a meat and drink offering to be, to be given as well. And I didn't mention in the, the first message, but the burnt offering was to accompany the sin offering and the trespass offering as well as the peace offering every animal that was sacrificed, there was a burnt offering with it, which expressed complete consecration. Not only forgiveness, but consecration to God. And so all of these were part of what we call the daily. But the yearly service completed on that great feast we know as the Atonement, the Day of Atonement, the 10th day of the 7th month. And I want us to look briefly this afternoon at that service and see what it has to teach us in regard to salvation and sin. In our last message, we saw the significance of the sin offering and how that sin is transferred by Christ, typified by the, high, the priest or high priest, from earth to heaven. And in the Day of Atonement, we see what happens in regard to those sins, what is done with them. And so we're going to look at that service today, and we're going to begin in the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus, beginning in verse 26 of Leviticus 23, we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work, It shall be a statute forever, throughout your generations, in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls. In the ninth day of the ninth month at even, from even unto even, shall ye keep or celebrate your Sabbath. And these are the words in regard to the Day of Atonement. And there are a couple of things that I want us to look at in consideration as we go back and review these verses. First, I want us to note that in verse 27, God says that the children of Israel were to do something in regard to their souls. What was that? Afflict, that's right. Now, that word afflict was perhaps maybe a harsh translation of the original word, which signified simply to lower or humble oneself before God. The affliction here spoken of is the humbling of the heart before God. Seeking and coming before Him with a humble heart, a contrite heart. One broken with a sense of its need. And the Day of Atonement was specifically for this. It was for the people to be earnestly searching their heart, humbling it before God. Am I right with God? Is my case right before God? Have I done everything I possibly can? And this was the question that was to be on the mind of the people on this day. And notice also that it was called an holy convocation. Just as the Sabbath, the day on which we are gathered today, so was the day of atonement to be kept. There was to be no work done. It was to be kept as a Sabbath, which was to be an indication that man has no work in his own salvation. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. I don't have this in my notes. But in Hebrews chapter 4, Paul is speaking of this very language and helps us to understand the significance of this Sabbath rest on the day of atonement. We're going to look beginning in verse 9. He says, There remaineth therefore a rest. And that word is Sabbath rest in the original. A resting on the Sabbath. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. So Paul is here saying that the rest that God had promised the children of Israel when he was bringing them into the land of Canaan, that rest Joshua did not give. If you read verse 8, for if Jesus, that is Joshua, had given them, the children of Israel, rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? So there was a rest that remained. There is a rest that remains yet for the people of God. The children of Israel had not entered into that rest. None have entered into that rest, as of yet. That rest, that day, is the day of atonement that remains yet for the people of God. It is a day of rest. And what does it signify? Verse 10. For he that is entered into his rest, that is God's rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. You see, when God rested on the seventh day, all his works were done. There was nothing Left undone, everything that God had purposed and planned was carried out, and there was nothing left hanging over. And the Sabbath has a lesson in this for us: that when we approach the Sabbath, all our worldly endeavors, all our business endeavors, are to be finished. We have nothing hanging over, nothing left to distract the mind, nothing to say, "Oh, I, I, I didn't do this," or "I need to get this done." Nothing that is going to keep us from resting. It is to be a rest from our work and labor. Not just physical, but mental. You cannot have the mind stayed upon God while it's carried off in thoughts of worldly endeavors. And it's this rest that Paul is speaking of. And he uses the Sabbath rest, which is a type of what this last day, the Day of Atonement, is to be. Where we cease from our own works as God did from his. You see, our own works cannot save us, and we are to cease from our works. As the the prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 58 of that book, verse 13, he that would enter into God's rest, he must take his foot from off the Sabbath day, from doing his pleasure, from speaking his own words, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, and delight in it, This is the rest that God is looking for. This is what the Sabbath is to teach us, that we are living in this great day of atonement, which is the day of rest, and it was to be a holy convocation. Our own works are to cease. Our own words, our own thoughts, doing our own pleasure is to cease. We are to humble our hearts before God, an earnest seeking, for God's blessing. This is what the Day of Atonement means to us as a people. And now I want us to look at part of the service on the Day of Atonement. And we're going to begin by looking at the first of the two offerings that were made. Now on the Day of Atonement, two goats were chosen by Lot. The one would be the Lord's goat and the other would be what was called the scapegoat. And these two goats have everything to do with atonement. There are two different atonements made. The Lord's goat makes an atonement, but so does the scapegoat. And we're going to see that atonement. And first we're going to look at what I call the Lord's goat. We're going to look at the service surrounding this goat because they are the center of Of the Day of Atonement. There were burnt offerings provided on that day, which meant that salvation was still open. Sins could still be confessed, even while the high priest was in the most holy place. There was still time for sins to be confessed. And so, we're going to look first at the first of these animals, and the one that was to represent the Lord, the Lord's goat. And to do so, we're going to turn back to several chapters, to the 16th chapter of Leviticus. Here, God gives specific instruction regarding the service on the Day of Atonement. We'll look from verses 9 to 19. And again, we'll go back and look at a few of the details. Beginning in verse 9, we saw how that lots were to be cast. We see that in verse 8. Verse 9 says, "An Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell, and offer him for a what? A sin offering. So we see that the goat, the Lord's goat, is what type of offering? Sin. So it, it deals with sin, specific sin. This is not a burnt offering. It's not dealing with justification in a broad sense. It's dealing with specific sin. The Lord's goat is dealing with those sins that have been confessed, transferred to the sanctuary. Now let's see what else it has to say. Verse 10. Here it, it, we learn about the scapegoat. We'll note a little bit more about it later. It says, but the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And we'll note that shortly. Now verse 11, And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. Now this was done because of the humanity of the priest officiating. This bullock was for his sin. Verse 12, And he shall take a censer full of burning coals, of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. Now this is talking about the second veil, the veil that divides the holy place from the most holy place. The censer is filled with uh, fire or coals from off the altar, and then he is to gather the incense that was to be burned. Day, morning, and evening, and he was to put that upon the fire and go within the veil. It says, verse 13, and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he die not. And this incense represents the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in the book of Revelation. It says that the smoke arose with the prayers of the saints. And it's a representation how that through Christ our prayers ascend to heaven and are a sweet smell or savor to God. And the high priest was to bring this incense and place it on the mercy seat so that the smoke covered the place. And this was so that the high priest, the human high priest, did not die. It was by virtue of the prayers or mediation of Christ. And so we see that. Verse 14. And it says, And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. So this is relating to the priest himself. Because notice it was the blood of the bullock that was here sprinkled. Now, verse 15, we get to the actual goat, that which representeth the Lord. It says, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Verse 16, And he shall make an atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins and he sh- excuse me and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness so this is the atonement of the goat the lord's goat his blood is brought in within the veil and it is sprinkled before the mercy seat there to make an atonement And to cleanse it of the sin of the holy place. For all the sins have been brought by virtue of the blood into the holy place. And thus heaven had been defiled by our sins. And it is to be cleansed of that defilement. And it is by virtue of the blood of the Lord's goat that those sins are purged. Verse 15 we we finished. Verse 16 Oh, sorry, You already read verse 16. Verse 17. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. So an atonement is made before the mercy seat and then an atonement is made for the altar that had been defiled by the blood when it was put upon the horns of the altar. An atonement is here made for those sins. Verse eighteen And he shall go excuse me, and he shall go out into the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his fingers seven times. And cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And this is the first portion of the service that is conducted on the Day of Atonement. And it's full of significance. In the book of Daniel, I want you to turn there with me, real quickly. This service is spoken of in a symbol. Daniel chapter 8, and there it's used, the language in in referring to this day is interesting because it speaks of this very work that the high priest was to do on the day of atonement while he was in the most holy place and the holy place, administering the blood of the Lord's goat. It's the 8th chapter and verse 14. One saint speaks to another saint and asks the question, how long shall the vision be concerning these two powers that were given to trample the earth under their feet? And the answer is given, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Cleansed. Cleansed." Interesting language. The sanctuary is what? It is cleansed of its defilement. And this is that portion of the Lord's work that is done by the high priest on that day by virtue of his own blood. On the day of atonement, Jesus goes into the presence of the Father, administers his blood. And atonement is made for the transgression for the law. There is reconciliation. The law has been atoned for. The blood has been now applied. And the law The transgression of that law has been atoned for. That's the first part. Then the high priest comes out to the altar of incense, and the blood is sprinkled seven times before the veil and is placed upon the horns. Thus the altar that had contained the record, the remembrance of the sins, is now cleansed. Those sins are symbolically removed from that altar and are upon the high priest. The high priest now bears those sins that have been cleansed from the the temple, and are, we'll see what transpires immediately after this. This service is called the cleansing of the sanctuary. All sin that has been transferred by Christ to heaven, where the remembrance or record has been made, is cleansed on this day, the day in which we are now living, is to see that final work completed, and it is not far hence. The signs that point to it are fast fulfilling. We are in the last days, and I believe that we here will see the fulfilling of this great day of atonement when the sanctuary is cleansed. And so now let's turn our attention to that second phase because now we have seen the sanctuary cleansed of the sin that had defiled it. Let's see what it's done. And this brings into play that second goat upon which the lot fell to be the scapegoat. And now we see the atonement that this goat makes. Let's note it. In verse 10 of Leviticus chapter 16. Let's read it together. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 10. We read it in our previous reading. We'll note it again here. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive. Not dead. This goat is not sacrificed. You'll notice. He's presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him. So the Bible is very clear that this goat makes an atonement. But it's a very different kind of atonement than the Lord's goat. And we'll note that atonement that it makes. Finishing verse 10, and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now, let's look, go back down to where we left off. After we left the high priest in the holy place where he had cleansed the sin. Now let's see what happens. Going down to verse 20. It says, and when he hath made an end of reconciling, that is, cleansing the holy place. And the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. So now we see the live goat comes into play. Verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat. Now notice what happens. Something very significant. And confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. And shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And we'll stop there for just a moment. These are very significant events. We saw that this live goat was intended to make an atonement, an atonement not for the children of Israel, but for their sin. This goat makes atonement for sin, not the sinner but for the sin that was committed. The flagrant uh, violation of the law of God is atoned for by this goat. Now notice that all the sins that had been confessed throughout the year during the daily service, all those animals that had been sacrificed and their blood brought into the holy place, all those sins, all that record is taken from the holy place and now placed upon the head of this goat. This goat now bears all those sins. Hence, he's called the scapegoat. And there's a reason why this is done. I want us to see the significance for it. Let's continue to read on. Verse 22. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Verse 23 now. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments and he shall put on, excuse me, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. Now the garments that he had donned in this service were the priestly garments that were donned for the service, the typical service. These garments were He went in and he took them off and he put on different garb. He put on the kingly garb, the special garb of the high priest, which had the turban with the kingly miter and all the the breastplate with the jewels and all these things were donned by the high priest. He now puts on what the Bible terms the garments of vengeance, the high priest changes his garments. After he's placed the sin upon the head of the scapegoat, he goes in and changes his garments. He went in the high priest, essentially, but he comes out under when different garb. And we see this garb, the significance of this garb, in Revelation chapter 19. Turn with me there. Revelation chapter 19. And we'll begin in verse 11. John says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name... Is called the Word of God. This is the symbolic representation of the Lord Jesus Christ as he descends from heaven. And this is the picture of the high priest. He comes, he's he changes his garb in heaven, and he comes out in this new garb. He now returns to earth as a king. And here we know that he is called, verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Here Jesus is seen returning as a conquering king. He is coming as judge to judge the earth. That is to execute God's judgment against sin. The verdict has been given. And now it is time to execute the judgment. And this is the significance of this event that takes place on the Day of Atonement. We see it also in Matthew chapter 13, and we'll go there in just a moment, but I want us first to go back to Leviticus chapter 16. We left off in verse 23. So he took off the garments which he had put on when he went into the holy place, and he changes his garments and leaves those garments there. Verse 24, and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments, that is the garments of vengeance, and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. Now this this atonement is made in the courtyard. And this is the cleansing of the courtyard. The cleansing of the sanctuary had already taken place. Now it's the cleansing of the courtyard, which is symbolic of earth. The high priest comes out in his new garb, or in his high priestly garb, we might say the kingly garb. And he comes forth and offers the burnt offering, symbolize atonement. Cleansing is now taking place upon the earth. And we'll see what this typifies in Matthew chapter thirteen. So turn with me now to Matthew chapter thirteen. Jesus, in speaking a parable to the people, speaks in in relation to this great day of atonement under the parable of the wheat and the tares. And we'll notice his language. It says, beginning in verse 40, it says, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom, that is, upon earth, All things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is the significance. That is the significance of this event. Jesus speaks of it here under the the symbol of the wheat and the tares. In the end of the world, he says he comes forth and he sends his angels and he gathers out of his kingdom, out of the earth, All things that offend. And if you go back to Revelation 19, you'll see who they are. They're the wicked. And there's a preparation for the last great supper. All the birds and fowls of heaven are called to this great supper to feast upon those who are to be killed on this day. So all that offend are gathered out of the kingdom to receive judgment. And going back now to Leviticus chapter 16 we see this in further significance in verse 25 Now remember that the Lord's goat was the sin offering right And the sin offering was a, it had a specific portion of that service where the fat was removed from the victim and then it was placed upon the altar to be burned. And this is now conducted in verse 25. It says, And the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar. And this is typical again of the cleansing of the earth. Sin is to be cleansed from the earth. Verse 26. And after, while this is taking place, the fit man is at the same time leading the goat into the wilderness. A place of no return, as it reads. Verse 26, And he he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come in to the camp. And we'll stop there and we'll finish with verse 27 shortly. But I want us to note the sequence of events And we'll note it before I say anything. Let's let's go back to Matthew chapter 13. Because we did not read verse 43 for a reason. We're now going to go back and read verse 43. Well, notice that after... After the cleansing of the earth, of sin, the fat is burned and the burnt offering is made, an end is made of sin, essentially. Sin and sinners. And then it says, verse 43, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. You see the significance. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So this, what Jesus is speaking about is dealing with the end of sin. Those tares represented sinners and sin. They are gathered out of the kingdom and burned in the fire in the last day. When that is complete, it says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. This is speaking of those who have been redeemed, those who have confessed their sins and sinned, those sins been transferred to the holy place. Now those sins we saw under the Lord's goat were cleansed from the holy place and placed upon the head of the scapegoat. That scapegoat represents the devil. The devil is the one that makes atonement for sin because he is responsible for all sin. Every sin that has been committed was under by his instigation. He is the tempter. We committed the act. And we are guilty for what we have done. And the portion of our guilt was transferred to the sanctuary. Christ's blood makes atonement for our guilt. But Satan has a part in every sin that has been committed. Because he was the instigator of it. He was the one that tempted every human soul to sin. Beginning with our father, Adam and Eve. And so all that guilt... That he was responsible for in tempting God's people is placed upon him. And he makes atonement for that sin. You see, God is just, beloved, in all that he does. Every sin reaps its fair and just reward. And God wants us to know that the instigator of all sin receives his due penalty. Satan doesn't simply die for his own sins, but for every sin he has tempted God's people to commit, he has to answer for. And those sins, that is why the high priest then confesses all the sins upon the head of the scapegoat. God is telling us in this that all sin is to be dealt with. It all has its source in him. Just as Jesus said in John chapter 8, that he was a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. Because he is the father of it all. All sin originated with him. And all sin has its end in him. And you'll note that this goat is not put to death. He's sent into the wilderness. And while he's being led out into the wilderness is when Christ comes. The high priest comes out. And there's the cleansing of the earth. The second coming of Christ. And after the second coming of Christ, or at that time, you see the fit man returns. He washes his clothes. He's clean. He's pure. And he rejoins the camp. And the significance is, in this, we have a picture painted. The fit man is chosen not from among the angels. He's not a high priest. He's not of the priest. He's not a representative of work that Christ does, but he's a representative of the people, the camp of Israel. This fit man is chosen from among them. And the word fit doesn't simply mean physically fit, but spiritually fit. Not only did the man have to be physically fit to lead the goat out into the wilderness, but should that goat escape, it was his life for the goat. And so, in, a, in the spiritual lesson, this fit man is chosen from among the congregation, which means there are a class of God's children in the last days who are going to be chosen to lead the devil, as it were, into the wilderness. And I believe they are represented in the Bible as the 144,000, in whom is found no guile in their mouth, who are virgins who have not been defiled with women. They are fit. They stand before God without a mediator. And they are the ones that lead Satan into the wilderness. How do they lead him out? Because they are as Christ in that day. You remember when Christ was prepared to offer up his life? He speaks of the devil. He said, the prince of this world cometh, and he says, and hath nothing in me. There was nothing that Satan could find in Christ. He could not be tempted to sin. Had Christ been tempted to sin, all would be lost. And you see, the fit man, could that fit man be tempted and sin, all would be lost. All that sin that had been placed upon his head would return to the congregation of Israel and that fit man represents those who in these last days have been purged of their sin and in them is no sin and they lead satan as it were into the into the wilderness and the whole time satan is seeking desperately to lead them into sin but he can find nothing in them and so they successfully lead the devil into the wilderness into the place of no return and then return to the camp. And this reunification is symbolized in the resurrection day when those that are alive and remain are caught up together with those that are resurrected to be forever with the Lord. This is the reunification of the fit man with the camp. Those that have led the devil into the wilderness, those that were alive and remained during that time, in whom Satan could find no fault, could tempt into no sin. They lead him into the wilderness, there after a thousand years, to suffer the punishment for his sins, which is, in the book of Revelation, the lake of fire, as Jesus says. So I want, with this thought, I want to bring it to a close. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. There are so many symbols, so many things revealed in the the typical service of the sanctuary. Too much for us to cover in one day. But I want us to understand, as it were, in a general outline, these events and their significance to us. Because we are living in the great day of atonement. And these events are about to transpire. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 give me just a sec here now you remember that when christ ascended from heaven to or from earth to heaven he bore with him the sins you remember that notice what paul says concerning christ when he comes so christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him Shall he appear the second time, how? Without sin, sin to salvation. Just as the high priest came forth from the holy place without sin, that sin had been placed upon the scapegoat, Christ. so Christ comes the second time without sin. Those sins are no longer borne by him. They have been transferred to the scapegoat. And in that service tells us the end of sin and sinners. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. There are a couple of texts that we're going to look at in closing. The first is Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to look, well, we'll begin in verse 18. We'll read verse 18. We could get some context, but... For the sake of time, we'll just read verse 18. That's Ezekiel twenty-eight, eighteen. There, under the symbol of the king of Tyrus, here representing the devil, the Lord speaks concerning him. Thou, that is the devil, hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore, I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, And shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Here, under inspiration, the prophet Ezekiel tells us of the end of sin and sinners. The author of sin comes to his end. God said, I will cause a fire to come forth from the midst of thee, and it will bring him to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that will behold him. This is the punishment of the instigator of all sin, the father of lies, the father of murder. The devil is brought to his end here. And the last verse that I want us to look at, which ties in with this, is one of the last verses of the Old Testament found in the book of Malachi. Malachi. before the Testament of the Old Testament closed God revealed what was to take place we'll read chapter 4 verse 3 first God in verse 1 says for behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea all that do wickedly shall be stubble and the day that consumeth Shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. And verse 3 says, And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Now look back at verse 1. Notice it says that the day comes it shall burn as an oven. This is a reference to the great fiery judgment of God against sin. And notice what it does. It burns up all sin and sinners. All that do wickedly shall be what? Stubble. And even in modern days, after you've reaped the field, they burn the stubble. This was a typical cleansing of the field. And just as before God recreates and makes a new heaven and new earth, The old earth that had been defiled is cleansed. And we saw that typified in Leviticus 16, where all that is offended is caught, and all the fat and everything that represented sin is burned upon the altar, representing the last great fire that is to consume sin and sinners. But notice what this fire does it burns them up so much so that it leaves them neither root nor branch. Now, the root of sin is whom? Satan, he's the root of it. Just as Jesus is the vine of righteousness, he's the root, as it were, so Satan is the root of sin. And this fire destroys root and branch. Just as Christ's followers are branches of the true vine, in John chapter 15, so Satan's followers are branches of his vine. And this fire destroys root and branch. Satan and all his followers are destroyed, here according to the language of Malachi chapter 4. And this is the last part of the Day of Atonement. And these scenes are just before us. God is even now preparing a people, a people fit. God will have a people who will do the work of the fit man in the last day. For that man was chosen out from among the congregation. You remember Jesus' words when he was speaking to the Israelites of his day. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. Many have been called to the feast, but there are only going to be a few that are chosen out of that who will constitute that fit man in the last day. And God is even right now filling up that number, making up that number. And when that number is made up, the great events that we just read about concerning the scapegoat will commence. The, the sanctuary will be cleansed, the sins will be placed upon him, and Jesus will change vesture. And we will read, we will see come to pass the words written in Daniel chapter 12, the first verse. It says, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince withstandeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was. Just before, just prior to the coming of Christ, there's going to be that time of great trouble. But God's people will be sealed. The 144,000 will be sealed. And they will, during that time, while Christ is coming, they will be leading the devil into the wilderness. And these events are just before us. The number is even now being made up. It began in 1844. When it closes, we don't know. But we know the events that are going to transpire very close or that give us indication of its closing. And I have a a message that was entitled The Judgment and the Close of Man's Probation. And if you want to understand more surrounding those particular events, I would invite you to go and and look at that. It's, It's not up yet, but it soon will be but I want each and every one of us here to be a part of that. I want us to be among that number. Serious events are before us. Wondrous events. Yes, there are going to be some grim things about these last days, but there's also tremendous glory. The Lord is about to come. Sin is about to be made an end. And the ushering in of eternal peace and joy and happiness the fulfilling of God's promise, the fulfilling of that rest into which God wants us to enter. And if you want to have a part with that, if it's your desire to be among those that look up and say, Lo, this is our God, and we have waited for him, and he will save us. And I want to invite you to bow with me or bow your head where you can as I kneel in a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, great and solemn events are before us and we have as of yet merely touched upon the surface of these things. But we have seen enough that our hearts have been stirred and moved, Father, with the nearness of the coming of thy Son to know that these events are at hand. And Father, I pray that the words of the Apostle Paul can be fulfilled in us. In Philippians 1.6, where it says, And being confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Father, thou hast begun a good work in us, a work of cleansing of sin, of the defilement of sin from our lives, purifying us, that we may stand before thee without a mediator, that there may that it may be said of us as it was of thy son Jesus that the devil can find nothing in them, Father, I want that great and wonderful work to be done in each and every card here, and Father, I lift up to thee our cases and pray that thou wilt fulfill thy promise unto us to make a man more precious in the golden wedge of Ophir. Father, we want our lives to be sweet in thy sight, more precious to thee than that golden wedge of Ophir. We want to be pure and clean. We want our lives to be a value. And we know that thou only canst make of our lives something valuable. Thou only canst bring a clean thing out of an unclean and cleanse the leper of his spots. And, Father, we pray that Thou will do this work in us today. Prepare us for the events that are about to unfold, and I believe very soon. Father, I bless Thee and thank Thee for Thy Word. I pray that Thou wilt hide it in our hearts. Bless us as we go forth from these meetings. May Thy Word be fulfilled in each and every heart, and that which has gone forth of Thy lips return unto Thee fulfilled. For each and every one of us is my hope and my prayer. And I ask in the blessed name of thy Son, Jesus. Amen. Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions.